you. So Father, we're so grateful that we can gather today in the precious name of Jesus. Father, we want you to have your way. We want you to accomplish what you want to accomplish today. And Father, in it, we'll give you all the praise, all the honor and the glory because you're worthy of it. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You can go ahead and seat and praise the Lord. Well, isn't God good? Praise the Lord. Well, we've been talking about Genesis and the Gospel. And so tonight, today we're going to finish this up. But we've been talking about how the culture has changed. And we've, we've used as our foundational text for this. <clears throat> we've used Acts, the second chapter, and we talked about the Jewish culture that was taking place on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. Then we also looked at Acts, the 17th chapter, and how when Paul went to Athens and he began to preach and how the message that he preached was considered foolishness. And we began to compare the two and we, we talked about it from the standpoint of how <clears throat> the culture in Acts, the second chapter, with the Jews, they had an understanding of there being one God, God the Creator. And they understood the fall of man, sin, and the need for the save, or Savior. But then we, when we get into the Acts, the 17th chapter, and we see the, the Greek culture. And in the Greek culture, they had many gods. They had no understanding of one Creator God. They had no understanding of what sin was. Um, they had uh, no understanding of the need for a Savior. And we took that and we began to compare it with the, the culture of today and the things that have changed and how, you know, one of the difficult things in evangelizing people today is you, you tell them they need a Savior and they, they say, why? Because they have no understanding of the fact that they were, they were a sinner. And you take, you know, for most of us, having grown up in a church of one brand or another, uh, we got the understanding of being a one creator God. We had the understanding of sin, the fall of man. We had an understanding of the need of a savior. We may not know how, but we knew we needed something. I don't know about you. <clears throat> Nobody had to tell me that I was a sinner. I knew it. But you know, in the day that we're in today, uh, people don't have an understanding of that. They, uh, they, they think that things are what they are, and it's, it's a re result of the culture change. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at that, and we're going to see what we can do about it and how it can possibly change. You know, over the weekend, <clears throat> watching a little bit of football, you know, I noticed some terminology that they, they continue to use in their programs, especially when it was a new program. They talk about a new coach coming in. 
and how that coach had changed the culture of the program. You know, because they had a losing culture, they had to change it to a, a winning culture. And I'm sure anybody that follows football at all knows that the coach from Maryland was, was fired uh, as a result of, you know, his uh, McNabb, that player that died under his leadership. And, uh, and the terminology that was given was we need to bring somebody new in because we need to change the culture of the program. And so what I want you to see in that is every day we're facing culture. I mean, the world sees the impact that culture plays upon the lives of the individuals that are within that culture. And what I'm wanting to share with you these last three weeks counting today is how the culture around us, the Christian culture, has changed and has changed dramatically over the last years. That we were a culture like the Acts 2 church, or those believers that received Christ in Acts 2. The Jewish culture. They had an understanding of Father God and one Creator God. <clears throat> they had an understanding of sin and the fall of man. They, under, they had an understanding <clears throat> of the sacrifices, and there needed to be a sacrifice through a Savior that we might be saved. There was an understanding of that. And our culture is beginning to make a transition, is beginning to change from that Acts 2 because the Western culture, America, was part of that culture. You know, we may have gone to different churches, but at least there was one theme that we would hear, and we would hear it in our schools, we'd hear it in the media, and that was God. And we knew when they talked about God, we were talking about one God, we were talking about the Creator God. But our culture has made a transition, and it's more like the Greeks today, where the Greeks had many gods. And they had no understanding of sin, because their, their culture had become so perverse in so many ways. And so today I want to continue talking about that. And what is the church? What are we going to do about it? Are we just going to sit back and let happen what happens? Or are there some things that we can do about it to, to get our culture back to where it needs to be? Where we have an understanding of a one God. Now, <clears throat> we can't do much with the sect the secular life around us other than the influence that we can have upon it. But you know what? <clears throat> I'm convinced that we as a church, and the only church that we can be responsible for is this church. You know, and so it's got to start with, with us. And we've got to make sure that we're investing in our children the right culture so that when they get into high school and so that when they go away to college, they don't just simply become another statistic. And that statistic that's becoming most prevalent is that they're no longer involved in, in Christianity. They're no longer involved in the church because they see no need for it. 
But you know, the longer that I've walked with Christ, my born again experience becomes more dear to me. Maybe it's because I'm getting closer to the end. I don't know. <clears throat> but that morning that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that doesn't become less real to me. It becomes more real to me. And it becomes more significant in my life. And you know, that only happens because I talk about it. Some of you think, wish that old dude would stop talking about that. <clears throat> but it's not just on Sunday morning, it's Wednesday night. It's when I go to the prison. You know, I would venture to guess every other week, if not every week, I bring it up. Do you know why I bring it up? Because it's important, it's significant. And how can I, how can I portray to somebody else the importance of it if it's not important to me? So I want you to know something. My born again experience was very important to me. And as long as I suck air, I'm going to talk about it. And so if you don't like it, because <laughs> you're going to hear about it. Because I want you to know it's important. I want you to know it's significant. And so if it's important and it's significant in my life, it ought to be important and significant in your life, your experience. And if you haven't had that experience, we need to take care of that before you leave here this morning. Because each and every one of us, we need to have a story, we need to have an account. But let's, let's get back to the subject at hand, the culture change. You know, in, in much of the church, <clears throat> we've had this fatalistic attitude. Well, you know, things are getting worse and worse, and, and it's come out of my mouth too. I've read the end of the book. And so things are just gonna get worse and worse, and there's nothing we can do about it, and so case or sarah, we'll just sit back and let the world go to hell in a handbasket because that's where it's heading. And it's not my problem. But the problem is it's our problem. Because we were given a command by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now I believe in social involvement. I believe in feeding the poor. I mean as a, as a church we support an orphanage in, in Honduras. We support other ministries do, that do humanitarian works and so forth. So don't, don't accuse me of not believing in that. But ultimately, that's not what the church is called to do. Ultimately, the church is called to preach the gospel to every creature. Now sometimes we have to feed their bodies, their bellies, so it doesn't growl so loud they can hear the gospel. But ultimately our primary responsibility is to preach Jesus Christ and he's safe. And he, he saves, crucified, and raised from the dead. But we're in a culture today that you begin to talk just simply about Jesus and they don't understand the importance, they don't understand the significance of that. And so we're not to have that fatalistic attitude where we sit back and we say, well, you know, I've read the end of the book, that's how it's gonna be. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. There's something we can do about our environment. We can infect 
infect, I guess that's a good way of putting it, affect our environment by the culture that we have and we live in. But you know what? If we just simply yield to the culture of the world, you know, the Bible says, I've said this time and time again, the Bible tells us that we're a peculiar people. If you look peculiar up, it doesn't mean weird. It means different. And so if we're not different from the world, we're the same as the world. And if how we live is the same as the world, how are we ever going to affect their culture? Unless there be something different about us. And so we're not to have this fatalistic attitude where we just sit back and wait. You know, in, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, or excuse me, the second chapter, and the 15th verse, it says that you, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation. Talks about the day that we're in. In the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, among whom you, it's talking about us as Christians, among whom you shine as a light in the world. And so we're not to conform to the darkness. We're to be a light in the world that we live in. You know, I think I shared this Wednesday night, we we're talking about it, and, and how when God created the world, if you noticed in those chapters in Genesis of creation, that God never took authority over the darkness. He said, light be, and light expelled the darkness. You see, we don't have to talk to the darkness. We just need to be light. And what happens when we're a light and we come into an environment that ought to expel the darkness that is there. In other words, we ought to have an influence. And it ought to be a positive influence upon those around us. The culture that we're experiencing ought to be what they begin to experience. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, the world is a mess. What a revelation. The world's in a mess. It says, in the days of Noah. Well, you know what? I don't agree with that. Things are wicked around us. But you know what? It's not as in the days of Noah. If my reading of the scripture is correct, on the days, in the days of Noah, there were, there were eight people, ten people, eight people. Eight people that entered into the ark. But of all the population on the earth, there were eight people that entered into the ark. Listen to what it says in Genesis, the fifth chapter, or excuse me, the sixth chapter, the fifth verse. And here God is making reference to this world, to the people of the world. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was greater in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, we talk about the flood and we talk about it as being judgment. But in reality, what it was was the manifestation of the mercy of God. Well, pastor, how can you say that? 
Because according to what he's speaking here, except for knowing his family, every thought, not most of the thought, every thought of humanity was wicked. And if they'd gone another generation or two, it would have influenced the descendants of Noah to the extent that there would have been no avenue for a savior to come into the world. And so people talk about the judgment of the flood. I look at the judgment of the flood and I see it as the mercy of God that kept intact an avenue for a savior to be able to come into the world. And then of course the second one is people talk about, well, you know, America. America is as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. And if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't have to apologize to anybody. Let me tell you something about Sodom and Gomorrah. Was it wicked? Yes, it was. But do you realize that when Abraham was talking with the angel of the Lord, that he had negotiated the angel of the Lord from 50 down to 10 people. That if you find 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that are righteous, that are, haven't turned their back on God, he says, if I find 10 people, I'll save the entire region. I, I won't pour out my wrath. And you know what? Abraham didn't go any lower. And I believe the reason that Abraham didn't go any lower was he was convinced they're going to find at least 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah that would not turn their backs on God, that were still serving the living God. But what they find? They found Lot and his wife, two of his daughters. See, I think... This is what I think. Everybody say, this is what Pastor Dave thinks. I think Lot must have had other daughters. Because it says he had sons-in-laws. And so I think Abraham was completely convinced that with just the family of Lot alone, there were going to be more than ten. But you know what? There weren't more than ten. And so as a result of that, the wrath of God was poured out. Let me tell you something. There's a larger remnant of Christians that are fired up for Jesus in the United States and throughout the world. There's a whole lot more than 10. I mean, look at this room. We may not be full, but we got more than 10. Praise the Lord. We're a boat full. Amen. And so, no, I don't think we're in that condition. And because we're not in that condition, there's hope. I do believe that we're in the last days. Well, what are the last days? Well, I'm not sure when the last days are. All that I know is we're more last than we were yesterday. We're more in the last days than when this book was written. We are in the last days. But what does the Bible say that we're supposed to do? when we're in those last days. We're to do business. We're to occupy. We're to have an influence on those that are around us. 
rather than just simply yield and, and give up to the things that are happening around us. This is, these are the words of Jesus when he was speaking in a parable in Luke, the 19th chapter. And I'm just going to read one verse from there. And it says, <clears throat> and so this is talking about this, this noble person that had these servants, and he was going to go on a journey, and, he, he's, and it says, so he called ten of his servants, delivered them ten, uh, to them ten minus, and he said to them, do business till I come. And you know what Jesus was talking about there, what he was trying to get through to us in that passage, he wasn't talking about business from the standpoint of having a business. He was talking about what our real business is. Our real business is, as Christians is doing the work of Jesus. And he says we're to occupy, we're to do business. We're to continue until he comes back. Well, I don't know if you noticed yet, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Well, pastor, how do you know? Because I'm here. And I'm going out on the first load. You can go out on whatever load you want. I'm going out on the first load. I hear that trumpet and pew, I'm out of here. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'll be in his presence, seeing him face to face. And so, like I said, you want to go out as a, you know, somewhere else. I, I'm going pre-trip. This dude is out of here. But what does he say? We're, we're to be doing business. We're to continue until he comes back. Until you and I see Jesus face to face. We're to continue to do the work that he's called us to do. And so what is that? Well, there's, there's three points that we're instructed in the word that I believe that we're supposed to do in doing business until Jesus comes back. Number one, contend for the faith. We find that in Jude 1.3. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all, it's been delivered to us, but we're to contend for it. We're to contend for the faith. What does that mean? Everything around us is trying to steal our faith from us. It's trying to tell it's not important. It's trying to tell you you really don't have faith. It's trying to tell us it's, it's obsolete. This Christianity and faith and all this business, it's obsolete. Let me tell you something, it's not obsolete, it's for today. And it's needed more today than ever. Things that are going on in the world, you need, people say, well, we don't need it as much today. We need it more today than we ever have. Because the attack that's coming upon your faith and the church and your culture and your belief system is greater than it's ever been. The enemy is trying to deceive us. He's trying to manipulate us to focus our attention completely upon everything else and totally forget about him. So contend for the faith, Jude 1.3. The second one is give answers for what you believe. Give answers for what we believe. You know what? <clears throat> it's important for you to know what you believe. 
It's important what I believe because that's what I'm going to sow into your life. But you know what? You have to have it for yourself because you have to answer for what you believe for yourself because the questions come. You know, I remember when I was first saved. I experienced Jesus. But you know what? I didn't have a working knowledge of the word. And so the attack would come and say, well, nothing really happened to you. You were just emotional. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And what it would do, it would raise doubts in my life. But you know, when I got a hold of the Word of God, when I began to see, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of words, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when I began to know those things, and those doubts, those accusations would come against me, I had an argument against it. That's how Jesus dealt with the devil in the wilderness. Every attack that he came at him with, and sometimes the devil used scripture. But every time he came against him, Jesus returned fire with the word of God. And that's how we return fire. That's our number one weapon against the enemy and those doubts and unbeliefs that come against us. It's the word of God. And so we need to know for ourselves, 1 Peter 3 15, it says, but sanctify or honor the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Isn't it interesting that he added that at the end? Because a lot of times I think we enter into situations arrogantly. And we're going to tell them. No, we're to show them. You know, I've often said, a lot of the Christians that I've met since I became a Christian, I would have probably never become a Christian. Because of their arrogance. Because of their wanting to shove what they believe down my throat. Now, <clears throat> if shoving it down somebody's throat would work, I would do it. Amen. I'd take this Bible and it would be so wet and battered because I'd be trying to shove it down everybody's throat, but it, it doesn't work that way. And so we need to be able to answer, why do I believe what I believe? Well, it's got to be according to the scriptures, not because of some feeling. Thank God for feelings. I'm a feely person. Thank God for feelings, but feelings aren't going to convince anybody. Feelings won't sustain anybody. That's why miracles are wonderful. Amen? I like miracles. I love miracles. If I just had a miracle, I would believe. Yeah, for a week. Because it won't sustain you. But when you have the Word of God in your heart, It'll sustain you. No matter what comes against you, no matter what people say, it'll sustain you. And so 1 Peter 3.15, be sanctified, honor the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. 
You know, I found something over the last 45 years. It's a whole lot easier to witness to somebody that comes to you and says, I need what you have. What is it? Than walking up to somebody and saying, you know what? You need what I have. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it's the truth. But when somebody comes to you and they say, I need what you have, or, or what is it? What is my hope? Where can I find hope? And you begin to share with them. They're open. They're willing to listen. They want to hear what you have to say. And so, number one, contend for the faith. Number two, give answers for what we believe. And number three, preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So that means until he comes back, that assignment, that job, isn't complete. That job isn't done. And so the other problem with what we're dealing with in the church is we have these two cultures. And these cultures have a great divide. And oftentimes what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep one foot in the culture of the church and we're trying to keep the other foot in the culture of the world. And the problem is, is the divide is getting wider and wider and it gets more and more difficult. And eventually what happens, you have to go one way or the other. I remember growing up on the farm, I suppose I was about a sixth grader, something like that. <clears throat> and we, we put up electric fences. Y'all remember what electric fences were? They'd carry a volt of electricity through them. And so we had just got done putting this fence up around this corn. We we're gonna let some hogs out in it. And so I was gonna get out of there and so I stepped over the electric fence and my brother saw me do it. And so he plugged the electric fence in. And so I, here I am straddling the electric fence and if I move this way, it would touch this leg and ooh. Move this way, touch that leg, ooh. It's wonderful having an older brother. <laughs> Anybody that's got an older brother knows how blessed they are. You know, and so I, I finally just had to endure the pain and step over it. But there, there's this divide. It's like a lot of people are, are trying to straddle the two. And it doesn't work. And the problem is, is the, the divide is getting wider and wider and wider. It's getting more and more difficult to straddle that divide. And at some point, we're going to have to choose. Am I going to choose God's way or am I going to... Well, let me put it this way. This goes back to our initial statements when we started this two weeks ago. Am I going to choose the Word of God or am I going to choose the Word of man? Because that's ultimately what presents the divide. Am I going to believe and act upon the word of man? Or am I going to believe and act upon the word of God? We have to choose. In Joshua, the 24th chapter of the 15th verse, you see, there's nothing new under the sun. What we're dealing with today, it may be amplified from the cultures of the past. But you know what? There's nothing new. We see those in the past having to make the same decisions that you and I have to make every single day. Because guess what? It's a daily decision. 
You know, we talk about the different prayers and, and in a lot of our denominations, at the end of each prayer, I was raised to do this. At the end of every one of my prayers, I would pray, if it be thy will. Well, you pray if it be thy will, if you don't know whether or not it's his will. And so when we talk about something that we know it's God's will, we know that it's God's will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so we don't have to pray with somebody and say, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior if it be thy will. It says will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We don't have to pray after we prayed for somebody's healing if it be thy will. Because we know that it's the will of God for all to be healed. Because Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all. And we're here to do the will of God. Whether it be prosperity, deliverance, that's the will of God. The only place that if it be thy will comes in is in the prayer of committal. And every day, we ought to be praying the prayer of committal. Today, I, I live my life. I choose to live my life for you, Jesus. And I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Thy will be done, not my will be done. And so don't just have me going around doing what I want to do. Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. And so you show me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. But here in Joshua 24, verse 15, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether God, small g, which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the God, small g, of the Amalekites, in whose land you dwelt. But as for me, Joshua is saying, as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. And see, that's the, that's the decision that you and I have to make. We have to make that decision that as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. If nobody else does, I'm going to serve the Lord. Well, pastor, that'd be very difficult. Yes, it would. But that's a decision that we need to make. Whether it be nobody else, I'm going to serve the Lord. And my house is going to serve the Lord. And see, our culture that we're in is coming against that. It's making that more and more difficult, more and more complicated all the time. And so we began, two weeks ago, we were talking about Acts, the second chapter, and then last week we began talking about Acts, the 17th chapter. So I want to go back to Acts, the 17th chapter. And we want to look at what, what Paul preached. Because remember when Paul preached the first time, nobody understood what he was talking about. He said God and the Greeks have many gods, or no god at all, but they, most of them had many gods. And so when Paul would make the statement of God, everybody, what god are you talking about? And that's the culture that we're in today, and that's why it isn't just a matter of us standing up and sharing with people, you need Jesus in your life. Their response to that is, why do I need Jesus in my life? 
They need, we need to take them back and reveal to them that there is one God, the creator of the world, that man sinned, and as a result of that sin, a result of that fall, man was separated from God. And for that fellowship, that harmony to be restored, there had to be a sacrifice. And that ultimate sacrifice comes through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who came, gave his life, was buried, was raised from the dead, and is now sitting at the right hand of Father God on high, standing or sitting, making intercession for you and I. We talked last week about building a house. How are we going to build that house? Or what is that house going to be built upon? That house has to be built upon the solid foundation of the Word of God. That there's one God. That man sinned. That man needed a Savior. And those walls of that house is built upon that foundation. And those walls, as Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was raised from the dead. The roof is the book of Revelation that we're going to spend all of eternity in the presence of God. But the Greek culture had that all wrong, and as a result of that, they were on the wrong road. You know what? <clears throat> you can be on a road, but just because you're on a road doesn't mean that you're going to get where you want to go. And that's how the culture is. The culture will take you in a direction, it'll put you on a road that's not going to take you where you ultimately want to be. And so that's why it's so important for us to have an understanding of these things that I'm talking about. So what Paul did, Paul backed up from, back, backed up from the message of the resurrection, and he began to share with these Greeks the God of creation and the fall. Remember when, when Paul showed up and he came into the city, into Athens, there were all these statues and monuments and altars to all these different gods. You remember Paul said, I see that you're very religious. And they had all these different gods that they worshiped too. But see, Paul knew something. Paul knew that if the gospel message was going to affect these individuals, he had to get into that culture. He had to get them to see things differently. And so what he said, basically what he said was this. He said, as I was coming in here and I saw all these altars and all these monuments to other gods, I saw that you were very religious people. And you had one altar, one shrine, and it was to the unknown God. That was just in case they missed anybody. <laughs> and so Paul used that. And he says, I want to tell you about this unknown God. And so he began and it's in Acts, the 17th chapter. And the 22nd verse is where he begins. And then Paul stood in their midst. 20, did I say 17, 22? Then Paul stood in the midst and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. 
For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he was, has made <clears throat> from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope him and find him, through, though he is not far from each one of us. And so what he did, he comes in here and he says, let me tell you about this God. Notice what he did. He took him back to where it was a creator God, the one who created all things. You know, it's interesting is later on in the book of Romans, Paul talks about this. In Romans, the fifth chapter, the twelfth verse, he makes, he makes reference to this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. You see, he brought to their attention that it's one God, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Without him, there is no hope for any of us. He said something similar in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and the 48th, 45th verse. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living thing, a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. And of course, the last Adam is making reference to Jesus. You know, so Paul brought the message to a level that the Greeks were able to understand it. You know, he even used the word theos instead of Jehovah. You know, isn't it interesting in the cult culture we live in today? The religious people are telling us, oh, we need to use Jehovah. His name is Jehovah. Well, you know what? Even Paul, so that they would be able to understand him, used the word for God, theos, the Greek word, so that they could understand it better. And so what's the, the significant thing here? The significant thing is that people might believe that they might hear, that they might understand. So he brought them to a place where they understood the Creator God. You know, the first time Paul preached, they said it's foolishness. Nobody can understand this. It's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of rhetoric. But you know, after he preached the second time, there were three different responses to what he preached. There were still those that said, oh, this is foolishness. But it said there were those that began to listen. Began to listen. And it says there were others that believed. You know, one of the debates is how successful was Paul? A lot of them say, well, Paul wasn't very successful in Athens because there weren't that many people that really received the message. But when you consider where Paul began, he was very successful. 
He was successful because even though there were those who still called it foolishness, even though there were those that just simply began to listen, at least they began to listen, but there were those that believed. They might have been few, but there were those that were listening. You know, remember even when we go back to the book of Acts, I mean, in Acts 2, when they were in the, in the Greek uh, Jewish culture, I mean, to the, this day, there's those Jews that have that culture that refuse to believe on Jesus. In, fi- in fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the stumbling block. And why is Jesus the stumbling block to the Jews? Because he was born in a manger. The Jews to this day are expecting this mighty leader to come and lead them. And that's where they were at it to this day when they practice Passover. They have the empty chair. They have the place setting. They have everything set up. For what? For Jesus. Only they don't think that he's come, the Messiah. The stumbling block to the Jew is Jesus. And that's why Jews, one group in particular, they call themselves completed Jews. Because they haven't lost their Jewish belief, but they're now complete because they have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so for the, for the Jews, they wouldn't receive because it was Jesus. But you know what? We still have those today that won't receive because it's Jesus. But for most, it's foolishness. Because it doesn't make sense to our intellect. And the reason it doesn't make sense to our intellect is because it isn't intellectually discerned. But it's an interesting thing that when it begins to make sense in your spirit, all at once, it makes sense. It can't be any other way. It has to be this way. And so we need to guard our culture. We need to make sure that we don't allow that Greek point of view which has been influencing society for the last 6,000 years. Because that was the very thing that influenced Adam and Eve. Did God say, you eat of the tree of good and evil and you'll be like God? I'll tell you what Lucifer wanted. He wanted to be God. And everything that you see in this world is he trying to manifest through programs, through people, through others, God. So that you can turn from the God and serve a God. There's one God. His name is Jesus. But this is kind of where we're at today. And Jesus spoke of it. And he spoke of it in Matthew, the seventh chapter, and in the 13th verse. 
He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there be many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there be few who find it. You know what? There's always been a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant. There's going to be those that, that believe Jesus, that accept the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why would we be surprised when there be so many that reject it? Because they're, they refuse to trust. And see, our culture has totally turned us from putting our trust in Jesus, in God, to where we put our trust in self. We become our own God. You know, when I went through evangelism explosion, there's, there's different programs that use the same analogy. I think the Roman road, that presentation of the gospel uses it. But what they do is, you have a chair. You show a picture of the chair. And on that chair, you have self. And that chair represents the throne of your life, the center of your life, who's in charge of your life. And in order for God to be the center of your life, you've got to get off the chair. You have to allow Him to be in charge. And you know what? That's difficult. It is. Oh, no, that's, that's not so tough. Well, then you've never done it. It's difficult. Because each one of us know better than anybody else. And in most cases, even God. Well, we think we do. And so it's difficult to get off that. But we need to. And we need to allow Him to be in charge of our life. Because you know what? The world wants to say, there's many ways. It's broad. You know, just, just live your life and be good and, 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 and be successful, be a blessing to society. All of those things are right. But you know what? If that's what your focus is, it's very broad. But the scripture says it's narrow because it all goes through Jesus. He's the gate, he's the door that leads to life. Any of those other doors, all those other ways, eventually will lead to destruction. And so each one of us, we have to ask ourselves, where are we at, what are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna deal with this culture? Well, <clears throat> You know, one of the key parables that Jesus taught was the parable of the seed and the sower. And Jesus said, you know, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand any of it. And that's kind of where we are today. We need to plant seed. But you know when our forefathers came out west and settled this part of the country, they didn't just go out in the prairie and start to throw corn seed and wheat seed and stuff around. 
They had to prepare the ground. They had to plow. They had to get things out of the way that was going to hinder their crop from producing and growing. You know, we kind of saw an example of that this year when we were in Honduras. When we went up to the schools in the mountain. You know, two years ago when we went up there, I mean, the corn was planted around rocks and everything, and it still was. But as we're going up there and we could see the crops, I could see where there were areas where they had cleared things out. Where the rocks were out of there and they weren't just planting around the stump. They, got, they were getting the stumps out of there. They were preparing the ground. And you know, there's people that say, we are in a post-Christian culture. I refuse to accept that in the name of Jesus. But I believe in many regards, we're in a pre-Christian culture. And what I mean by that is, with a pre-Christian culture, we're operating in an Acts 17 type of culture, where Paul had to go in and he had to plow. He had to begin to dig up and loosen the soil so that they were going to be ready to receive the seed. And that's where we are today. We need to plow up. And when we plow up, what do we plow up? We plow up rocks and we, we have the weeds that come up and so forth. We get it out of the way so that when we plant the seed, it has an opportunity to grow and mature. And you know what some of those rocks are? The idea that there's many gods. So we got to plow that up so that the truth of there being one creator God can begin to permeate the minds of individuals. We need to dig up the rocks that say, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. I can do whatever I want because there's, there's no consequence to pay. We have to dig up those rocks so that the truth of we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God because until we understand that, we will never see a need for a savior. And once we see and acknowledge a need for a savior, we're in a position to receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. You know, if somebody comes in to build a house and somebody's already laid the foundation, but the foundation was laid wrong, Maybe they didn't write, use the right materials. Maybe they didn't put it in the right place. If you're going to build that house properly, the first thing you have to do is you have to, you have to tear out the old foundation <coughs> and put in a new one. I've often said faith is easy. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is easy. You hear, faith comes. The difficult part of faith is digging up all the false teachings that you've heard about faith, that you've heard about God, that he's angry at you, that he really doesn't love you. Well, what I want us to see is that we have a loving Father who created the world Created it very good, created it perfect, 
created man to have dominion, but man was deceived and man sinned. Man fell short of the glory of God. And as a result of that sin, they were separated from God. But God didn't want that separation. And so he provided a sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, he was able to come into fellowship and harmony with man once again. That we might receive that promise of spending all of eternity with him. And that ultimate sacrifice came in the form of a babe born in a manger, of a virgin, so that there was no sinful nature in that child. And that child grew to be a man. And the man lived a sinless life. And that man went to a cross and he died for your sin and my sin. And through his resurrection from the dead after he died and was buried and went to hell for three days, he was raised from the dead for your justification and my justification. That means so that we can enter into the presence of God with no sense of guilt or shame, knowing that our sins have been completely wiped away. And the knowledge that one day Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to come back for those who have received him as Lord and Savior. That's you and me. If we believe and if we receive. That's the message of the gospel. I said it last week. I said before we can truly receive the good news of the gospel, We've got to know the bad news of Genesis, of man's failure, of man's fall, of man's need for a savior. Because without having the knowledge of that, we don't ever come to that place where we truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us. I appreciate him, how about you? Wish I had Emma here this morning. I appreciate Jesus. How about you? Amen. Now you're supposed to say, I appreciate Jesus. How about you? You know, it's too late. You blew it. Too late. No, you're not. Never too late. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father. I thank you, Creator God, for being my God. Though I sinned and fell short of your glory, you loved me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, I've fallen short of your glory. I've sinned. But I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I welcome you into my life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, cause me to be that new man in whom old things have passed away. 
and all things have become new. Jesus, from this moment forth, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I purpose with all my heart to serve you all the days of my life. And I pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time and truly meant it, then do it just because I was leading you. You prayed it and you meant it. According to the word of God, which says, if you believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, you've been saved. And so if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, before you leave this building, I'll be up here around the front at the end of the building. I want you to come up to me and I want you to say, Pastor Dave, I prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and meant it. Maybe you prayed it before, but you didn't mean it. This morning you prayed it and you meant it. I want you to tell me because the Bible says that if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And I'd encourage you to do one other thing. At least two or three other people, you can know them or not know them, Walk up to him and say, you know what, I prayed that prayer this morning and I know that I'm going to go to heaven because I prayed that prayer with Pastor Dave this morning. Amen? Amen. Will you do that for me? Yes. Okay. Be blessed. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus and be a blessing to the culture. Be a light in the midst of the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Give somebody a hug and let them know you love them.